So welcome everybody to the Goat District podcast. We got Chris Vaccaro of the Athletic and the NFFC Hall of Fame, and for back-to-back nights with the overhyped sleeper Dan Williamson. How you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, I'm glad to be back here in the district and uh, ready to chop it up with you guys. It, uh, the calendar is turned to August, and you know what that means. It's uh, it's draft season. It's hot and heavy. It'll be here right before you uh, know it, the, uh, the, the season. Well, let's get it going then, guys. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy these trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. So I, I have an NFFC board of a draft Chris and I was in, but first I wanted to talk to the overhyped sleeper. Uh, Dan, we we drafted in the Pros versus Joes uh, FFPC uh, last night. Thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that team um, and also what you're going to be doing this Thursday night from the road should interest our listeners. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, the Pros versus Joes last night, uh, definitely a tough room. I mean, they always are. Um, you're, you're, you're not walking into one of these things without uh, walking into a group of uh, 11 other really, really solid drafters. Um, but what they are, if anybody's not not uh, familiar with it, basically the FFPC picks um, 42 pros, and then they pick 42 uh, people basically at random from uh, the, uh, the people who enter FFPC main events uh, before I think it's... Uh, June 1st or June 30th, one of those two. And uh, they, they will get to compete against the pros. So there's six pros and six Joes in every league. Um, and the Joes, of course, are not just average Joes. They are high stakes Joes. So uh, most of the time you're running into a buzzsaw against everybody. And it's a it's a fun league. It's a uh, best ball, 20 rounds, uh, no kickers or defense. So um, everybody's on top of their game. And ADP kind of goes out the window a little bit, too, because everybody's pretty willing to just go get their guy. Uh, you see a little bit of flag planting and you definitely see a lot of people who are more, uh, you know, just just trying to, to build that team, whatever it takes, uh, you know, which is kind of what we did, too. We, we, we ignored ADP a little bit, but uh, we also found some good values, too. Yeah, and we'll do a review show at some point um, in the near future going over the team that we built. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I will say Dan is very, very good at this. If I'm going up against somebody in a best ball draft like this, um, you know, I would not want it to be Dan. Um, so I think the three of us together, it was a lot of fun. Um, a couple years back, I was a Joe and Dan was like 
the person I went to for advice on my build and we planned it out. And I ended up finishing like top 15. Um, I happened to be in a league with um, Chris Birchby and Curtis Patrick who put together monster, monsters that year. But um, I think we could do really, really well with the team we built. So um, it was awesome to get a chance to draft with Dan. Um, I have a couple more big, big drafts coming up with Dan um, that I'm looking forward to at the end of the month as well um, into September. But um, I want to get get after it with Chris here. Chris is a is Mount Rushmore of of Goat District analyst at this point. It's about this is about your fourth time on, so you're 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 up there. Um, you are an NFFC Hall of Famer. If anybody doesn't know Chris, Chris puts out a fantastic podcast on the Athletic um, with Nando Defino. Um, and will you have a third co-host this year, Chris? Yeah, uh, just like last year, uh, Brandon Marianne Lee is joining the team again. She's and, really good. Uh, She's really good. Yeah, too. yeah, she gives a, a nice, unique uh, perspective. Uh, and the show's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a little different. You know, you got Nando there. He's <laughs> he's uh, he's Nando if you know him. Um, and, and Brandon will give you, you know, her point of view from uh, you know a home league type of uh, perspective and I'll come in with, you know, a high, high stakes perspective. So it's a show for everybody, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, a, a show for one particular type of player. Uh, we have a little something for everything there. And you also write a column, a weekly column in the athletic. Are you doing two this year or is it, is it, is it, you're going to do, you're going to do maybe talk about a little bit about that weekly column and anything else you're doing towards the end of the week. Yeah, it's a um, it's a, a weekly column. Uh, I put it out every Thursday morning throughout the season. Uh, actually, I'll be starting uh, midway through August. Uh, you know, a bunch of draft prep articles I do every year, breaking down draft boards, uh, ADP reports uh, over at the Athletic uh, from the high stakes uh, high stakes perspective. Uh, I'll do that till early September, and then once the season gets going, uh, be doing my weekly. Um, you know, article comes out every Thursday morning. It's a it's a preview of the upcoming week. It's a little look back at the you know previous week, and uh, you know a little a little of everything in there. It's definitely one of the one of the articles I look forward to every week in fantasy football, um, and I think it's great because it shows things in, in a high stakes perspective, um, which we like having you know as much of in in, in uh, fantasy football as possible. Um, yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about your draft process. When did you get started this year? Because I know you're you're deep in in the high stakes streets. You're drafting multiple times a week. When did you start doing it? Um, did you use best ball this year? I always get going uh, with a couple best balls, guys. Uh, you know, I, I get that started maybe mid to late June. Uh, I, I start my online championship season uh, early July. I, I feel that that's good enough to get two full months of drafts in. Uh, Drafting every night, every other night, uh, straight through uh, to the end of August when the mains come and, and all the big leagues. And uh, that's usually my process. But, you know, I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't know. It's it's a 12 month a year process, fantasy football nowadays, because if you're just waiting until the summer comes along, you're going to be behind the competition with all these big dogs that we uh, you know that we know that we go up against. So. You know, you always got to keep your eye on everything and uh, and monitor everything that's going on in the league and in fantasy football. Do you attempt to do projections? No, I, I really don't. I don't sit down. I'm not one of those guys that sits down and, and uh, you, with each player, uh, you know, breaks out what, uh, uh, you know, what I think the numbers are, are going to look like. It's basically I do it all, I guess, in my head. Um 
I'm a big ADP guy. You know, once I get my hands on uh, some, you know, leagues that have been going on, uh, you know, in the early fall, I start formulating a plan. I start putting guys in place that I think. And then, I, you know, and then I can go look at, you know, each player that I'm like, ah, you know, uh, this receiver and this receiver are both going off in the fourth round. Let me dig into to these two guys. So I know when I'm on the clock in these drafts who I want more than the other one. Uh, so I'll do that. Uh, it's ba- it's basically like working backwards a little bit. I'm and, more of a board studier, though, to, to be honest. You guys know that. Uh, you know, I've always said that I'm more of a board studier as the summer goes on. That's my biggest prep. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I don't I don't do projections. Um, I like to look at certain stats, and I know Dan does as well. Um, in terms of like you know, preparing for where, how we might value guys. Are there any stats that you put extra emphasis on from last season? Um, You know, some guys like vacated targets, some guys like target share. Is there anything that you really, really put a lot of emphasis into? Targets and uh, uh, available targets, you know, from, from the prior year, I like to see what offenses uh, have lost a lot of targets, you know, just say like Baltimore. You know, with you know Hollywood Brown gone and a couple others, uh, what available stat, uh, available targets are now opening up in certain offenses? Those are those are two of the bigger ones that uh, you know I, I like to look at. Pace of play, I like to look at that, but that varies year to year. You know, with coaches, so a lot of people I feel get stuck with looking back at last year's stats and not realizing that so many things change, coordinators change, players change, so many things. So. You can't just look at one thing and say, oh, my God, this team's going to run the ball like crazy. What a great offensive line they had. And, you know, and now you look and it's OK. They lost two guys to injuries and they two guys signed somewhere else. And now their offensive line went from, you know, a top unit last year to, you know, a middle of the pack projected, you know, uh, offensive line this year. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt, uh, you know, year to year. So I, I yes, it's important to look back a little bit for certain stuff, but. You don't want to get caught up just thinking that everything's going to be a continuation of the previous year in every offense. And Dan, you you do a lot with looking at coaches, coaching changes, and potential schemes. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you evaluate, you know, new coaches and potentially new offenses, and how how you would prepare for that. Yeah. So the main thing is when I'm looking at new coaches, I, w- I just want to try to get a sense of, are they one of those type of coaches? that's just going to say, this is my system and I'm going to install it. And um, I hope the players can play it. And if they can't, I'm going to find players who can. Um, or there's also the, the coaches who say, uh, you know, I have a system, but there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of variability to it. There's a lot of ways we can massage it. I'm going to see what my players do well and I'm going to use that. Uh, and I, I, I try to stick more with, uh, you know, drafting from teams with coaches who have the, you know, that mindset of, hey, I can I can work with these players. I'm going to find the things they're good at. And I'm going to allow them to do what they do best. Uh, you know, so that that's a big part of it. Um, you know, and also part of it is is just taking a look at what they've done in the past. You know, what kind of players did they have when they did those things? And do they have that kind of a team now? Uh, you know, is it worth drawing? you know, is it worth looking back on or not? You know, like uh, we got Brian Dable and uh, for the New York Giants, you know, and, and he was working with uh, Josh Allen. Now he's working with Daniel Jones. 
similar style players, maybe not similar talent level, but at least similar style of players. So, you know, there are some things we mm -hmm. can, we can drag forward from that. And there are also some things where we say, well, uh, Daniel Jones just probably isn't as talented as Josh Allen. And it's not just a function of he hasn't had the coaching that Josh Allen has. So, uh, you know, you, you use all those kind of things to kind of put things together and, uh, you know, and, and start formulating how you think the team's going to go. Yeah, you're right, Dan. Like, you don't want a coach to come over and have to throw his playbook out. You know, you right. know, there's a ton of plays that he could call for Josh Allen in Buffalo, and he now he could take it to New York with him. You know, he's got a mobile quarterback. Whereas if he had a, you know, a, a, a quarterback that was a, a mobile, uh, you know, now he's got a he's got to rip up a lot of things that he used in Buffalo. So right, yeah. If he, you know, if he had Matt Ryan running the team there, it would be a whole different right. story. And I, I wouldn't have any sort of confidence. I'd know what Dable was going to plan to do with Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever? So we have Kevin O'Connell in 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 Minnesota, and I think the general buzz is everybody's really excited. I know I am. Um, I know Dan and I have taken Justin Jefferson extremely high. I've been drafting him a lot. Um, it's no secret that he's one of the favorite players of of the Go District. Do you guys ever worry about a coach trying to implement a new scheme and maybe we've we've misinterpreted it and teams might be slower out the gate? And are, are there any kind of warning signs that you think we could see in the preseason where maybe we've got to pump the brakes on an offense like Minnesota? I'll say this. Uh, yes, I always worry about a team, got, an offense getting off to a slow start when the quarterback is new and the coaching staff is new. It takes time. You know, we see it so many times. More often than not, teams will get off to a slow, a slow start. Offenses when when a new coaching regime regime comes in. Um, with that said, I, I guess it's, you know, different. Do I have a veteran quarterback coming to learn a new system? Do I have a, a younger quarterback? How much talent does he have around him? I have to weigh all that into, you know, uh, into consideration here. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, with O'Connell. Listen, the, the Wilk family, supposedly they wanted, uh, you know, a more up-tempo passing, uh, you know, coach to come in here. Uh, they want to open it up. They're tired of the, uh, you know, the, the grind out the clocks and the run the ball to death type of coach that Zimmer was. Uh, so, Hey, listen, that's why we are all excited about this Minnesota offense. Now can Kirk cousins get it done? Is he the guy to get it done? Um, you know, uh, we'll see, but, uh, he's going to sling it in Minnesota. And there's a reason why Jefferson is uh, coming off the board as a top three, four pick. Dan, do you have any, any, I know you're, you're in Minnesota. Um, are everything you're hearing making you excited or is there any, any kind of, any kind of worry signs? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely exciting. Uh, you know, as Chris said, though, anytime you get a new coach or a new quarterback coming in, uh, you know, there's there's always in the back of my head that things might start a little bit slow. I mean, even Tom Brady in uh, Tampa Bay, uh, you know, their, the first half of the season uh, for his first season there was he was I wouldn't call it struggling, but uh, he certainly wasn't lighting it up either. And, you know, so we might see a little bit of that from Cousins. Um but I'm, I have the confidence, you know, that uh, uh, McConnell's got the scheme and uh, and then we've got Cousins and Jefferson. You know, we've got the players to run the scheme. So I think things are going to come together. And, uh, you know, if if we if the Vikings can do as well as they did under Zimmer last year uh, with the passing game, I think they can do at least as well under O'Connell. So 
uh, overall, I'm not worried, but I also wouldn't be, you know, panicking if uh, Justin Jefferson has two touchdowns through the first four or five weeks. Uh, you know, things mm -hmm. like that can happen, and that's just variance and uh, just getting used to a new system. And Chris, do you? So yeah, I'm, I'm also to add to that point. Okay. Oh no, good. Um, no, go for it. Yeah, did you bring? I'm just in and out a little bit over here, but can you hear me now? Yeah, we can yeah. hear you. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm more if uh, a player sits, you know, is gets injured early in camp and sits, at, you know, and is missing a lot of time throughout camp in a new coaching system with a new, you know, uh, new coaches, new quarterback. That's the biggest thing for me. And now, if if he's there learning throughout camp on the field, getting the uh, you know the reps in with his new quarterback, a receiver with his new quarterback. Uh, new coaching step, everything like that. If he's not there and he's on the sideline, that is a red flag to me. That's something that makes me either take the guy off my board, moves him very far down. So, uh, you know, that goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about. But don't you guys feel that so there's so many changes coming into this fantasy season with coaches? There was a lot of turnover with coaches or coordinators, new uh, quarterbacks in new places. I feel like almost every team has got something new coming on. So if we were to back away from a lot of these offenses, there might not be anybody left uh, to put on our draft board. It just seems so many teams went through a lot of changes uh, in this particular offseason. Well, I think it's – I think in today's NFL, everything kind of moves faster. I think a lot of the, the narratives that we maybe had even five years ago are kind of out the window. We're not scared off by new wide receivers and new roles – Rookie wide receivers seem to be hitting um, at, yep. a, at a higher rate. And mm -hmm. we've seen some of these coaches come in and they just look like the smartest man in the room. Sean McVay is a great example. Sean McVay, you know, we, he had talent in, in Los Angeles, obviously, but he was able to turn around at such a level where we kind of get excited more when there's change, um, I think, at this point. But yeah. obviously they're – Miami with McDaniel. hundred percent. Let's see. Let's see if he's the new genius that everybody's, you know, got him chalked up to be. Let's see if Tua can adjust and, and get and make superstars that listen, we got Hill and Waddle both coming off the board as top 36 picks. Uh, you know, he's got to support a lot of, you know, two big wide receivers in fantasy this year. Let's see if he's able to do that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great point, Chris. And you know, that's because you not only have a new coach who we we think and hope might be good. And we also have a quarterback who we still really feel like the jury's out on a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. you put those two together along with, like you say, uh, you know, two very, very highly regarded and highly drafted wide receivers. Uh, it really puts the pressure on. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. it, I think it, they're one of the most interesting. I think they're one of the most interesting offenses for fantasy for, uh, you know, for us players to dissect they are either going to make or break a lot of teams and, and turn, you know, make or break successful seasons for some of us fantasy players this year going in on Hill and Waddle because those are two guys that I've seen opinions go all over the map on. Uh, and it's not like they have a, an automatic quarterback, uh, you know, getting, getting them the ball. There's a lot of questions on Tua as well, like you said. Yeah, it's, it's um, those two guys are, are like league tilting type players. Because if if you can, if Waddle continues his his upward trajectory where he's getting drafted, um, then he's a massive value at ADP. 
if the offense takes a big step back and maybe he goes from a 102 catch guy down to an 85 catch guy um, mm-hmm. and the offense struggles to put touchdowns up on the board, he could be a, a guy where it's not so much that he would mess you up, but you know you're passing up on potential league winners that's, in the range every year. So it's like the fourth round last year was Cooper Cup. Third, fourth round in NFFC was Cooper Cup. Fourth yeah. round in, in, in FFPC was Cooper Cup. Um, so it's like you know that that range is producing these massive winners. So it's not so much only Waddle needing to produce, but you need him to to, to really smash these days. Right. And Tyreek is, is a league-tilting type guy. You see some of these teams with uh, Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey, and then they follow up with a, um, you know, in in FFPC um, where we we you know not talking about NFFC at this point, but mm-hmm. in traditional snake leagues, you see a lot of teams with one of the two perceived top backs with Tyreek Hill. Um, that could be just if Tyreek comes back and, and puts up Tyreek numbers, um, then he's a steal right there. Um, yeah, Dan, what are your thoughts on we we talk a lot of waddle are you warming to tyreek in that range dan i i'm having a hard time with tyreek in that range to be honest um i won't be shut out but i'm not going way heavy on him either um and waddle is another player i'm just I, I i don't have enough certainty about this offense to you know like go all in on either of those guys uh, mm-hmm. certainly want some exposure but uh, i will be underweight a little bit on tyreek i'll probably be able even weight or a little overweight at mo- at best on Waddle. Now, do you guys feel that Tyreek will trend, uh, you know, trend towards more towards the the middle of the second uh, as we get towards main event season to creep up on that Debo, uh, you know, uh, you know Debo Mike Evans range? Will he go that way, or will he come take a step back into that Pittman Higgins range? Right now, he's kind of like in the middle. I've seen a lot of people pass on Tyreek for Pittman Higgins. Uh, and, and a few others, but sometimes even AJ Brown. Um, but it's how do you guys see Tyreek trending towards the third round or, or trending towards the middle of the second round? I think people want to draft Tyreek there, and they they're looking for positive vibes. I think you'll see certain people that maybe we draft with that won't won't will be avoiding him. But I think the general consensus will be that people are looking for positivity in that Miami situation. I know like Tua connected with him on a 65 yard pass uh, the Mm -hmm. other day in practice, and it looked great seeing Tyreek Hill find the end zone. So I'm of the opinion that unless there's kind of troublesome reports out of camp um, or the offense just looks abysmal on a drive or two in preseason, um, I'm of the opinion that people are going to continue getting excited about Miami. um, Yeah with Waddle and Tyreek. I, and I, I'm kind of with Dan. I, I, I have not really gone with Tyreek. I've taken him maybe once or twice in like football guys type drafts. Um, mm-hmm. He's not my favorite player in that range. I just feel like you don't want to not, if you're drafting for volume, he's not a guy you should just avoid because he, right. he has the ability to, to win weeks um, and potentially w- to win, to win leagues. Yeah. Um, but Waddle, I'm, I'm a little more bullish on because um, I just see him in that range where, uh, you know, as like a uh, as like kind of like a mental test, where would he go right now if there was no Tyreek? We would be taking Waddle so high. So I think we really believe in the talent. Um, he's a high draft capital guy, and I think there's a scenario where he's 
um, more predictable week by week than Tyreek. Like, I just think that, that Waddle is going to be a guy that, um, you know, we've seen him be able to win at different levels of the field. Um, McDaniel screamed his name at the press conference and potentially Tyreek opens it up and Waddle's the beneficiary beneficiary and he's cheaper by two rounds. Um, where we've yeah. seen a lot of times we've seen these, you know, perceived wide receiver twos in these offenses be the ones to, to be the better pick. Um, and I don't see why it couldn't be Waddle. We have a question um, in the, in the chat from Matthew Bingham. One offense we want to pick your head on uh, Chris uh, mm-hmm. is Denver. Um, Nathaniel Hackett in Denver is really interesting case study. Uh, the, he's saying that the Broncos will run faster under Russ, but they were the slowest neutral pace team the last couple of years um, with Rodgers in Green Bay. How do you how do you see that situation? Um, we've talked about this on the Goat District before, where we worried about the pace slightly. I think the defense yeah. in Denver is great, and they have two capable running backs. So that worries me a little bit, just in terms of maybe we don't get the fireworks we're we're expecting. How how are you right. looking at Denver? Uh, I do. I do like that offense. Um, you know, the pace is something that I'll keep my eye on. If they show us anything, if they tip their hand at all in preseason, which you guys know nowadays with the, the schedule with preseason, we're not really getting much out of these teams. But if we could see, uh, you know, a first half of the whole starting unit in there and see maybe their tempo uh, a little bit, that'd be great. I would. I wish, you know, this is these are answers that I wish we all, you know, we all wish we had uh, how fast they were going to play up tempo. I will say this about the Denver offense. Yes, I am interested in it. Yes, I will be investing in it. I think that today the offense, um, you know, took a completely different step with Tim Patrick going down. Uh, losing Tim Patrick out of this Denver offense, you know, it puts Sutton and Judy, in my opinion, you know, even on a higher, you know, standard right now, I I think you got to move both of them up the, the, you know, the, the route trees, the, you know, the target trees just, you know, became a little smaller. That's something I always look for on every team. Is there five options in the pass game or is there two and a half? Can I rely every week on, you know, just say, look back at the Vikings in the last couple of years, it was Jefferson and Thielen every week. You knew these guys were getting double digit, double digit targets, you know, now, when you're looking at Sutton and Judy, in my opinion, this offseason, you're like, all right, you know, there's weeks that, uh, you know, Patrick can show up for seven for 70 and, and a touchdown. And is he going to beat, is he going to, you know, bite into their, uh, you know, targets? Uh, and Albert O is there. And then you have the run game. Well, now we just got one big piece out of that offense. So, you know, that, that offense, I think you'll see Sutton and Judy uh, climb up a little bit now going forward. How about KJ Hamler, guys? Um, him too. Yep. Is he gonna? Where do you see him kind of settling in? Um, do you think he reaches? Because Tim Patrick was going. I mean, you'd see him go in like the twelfth round and FFPC, mm-hmm. and you know, you see people that looked at him as like an arbitrage play to to Sutton and Judy. Um, there's a lot of really big Tim Patrick believers, um, and this actually messed up a lot of underdog teams. Uh, this injury and Dan, mm-hmm. do you see KJ Hamler? you know, rising up. I know you have some apprehension about him. Well, I mean, other than the fact that he's like uh, made of glass, uh, <laughs> that's that's my main concern. I mean, he just can't stay healthy, uh, at least not since he's gotten to the pros. So, um, you know, if he, if he can make it through the preseason, uh, you know, we'll talk. Um, right now, I don't expect his value to be 
too high to the point where I wouldn't draft him just based on the fact that I'm, you know, terrified he'd be injured or anything like that. I mean, you know, if he's, if, if he's going in the 14th round or later, uh, you know, if he gets injured, it's kind of almost a who cares situation, uh, you know, cause those guys are, are more likely to, you know, you're looking for somebody to hit uh, and you expect some misses, uh, you know, as far as, as far as the, uh, the pace in Denver, a couple things on that. First off, uh, every coach says almost without fail that they want to run fast uh, mm-hmm. every year. And, you know, what actually happens can be completely different, but almost no coach goes in and says, yeah, we're going to really slow the pace down. Um, the other thing is with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you know, a lot of times the the slow pace was kind of on him because he would sit at the line of scrimmage and use up the full, you know, 40 second clock working on, uh, you know, trying to suss out the defense and figure out where their weakness was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that makes for a little bit more slow paced offense. So i you know, Wilson, Wilson has been, uh, you know, he's been on slow offenses before. Uh, we kind of think it was, uh, you know, Pete Carroll that was slowing him down. But, you know, was it Wilson? I don't know. Um, so I guess I'll believe it when I see it on the, the fast-paced Denver offense. And, Chris, do you have a uh, – you don't have to say whether you have a favorite or not, but are you drafting both Denver wide receivers at this point? Um, are you trying to mix it up? Or do you find mm-hmm. yourself drafting drafting one more than the other? Uh, no, I've, I've been drafting both uh, to answer your question, Theo. Um, you know, right now, honestly, my philosophy in online championship season, it's different than once I get into my mains. You know, right now, I'm not reaching for anybody in, in these drafts on a nightly basis. I'm sitting in my spot. I'm taking my value on players that I like. You know, I'm not just taking value on players I don't like. Just whoever comes to me at a good price you know, that I like. Chris Rosa. That's who I'm taking. So yeah, um, that back end of the, that, that middle of the, um, you know, middle of the the fourth round. uh, Once you make that turn in the NFFC, uh, Sutton comes into play. And then on the flip side, you know, fourth into the fifth round, that's when Judy's been coming into play. So uh, if they're sitting there, yeah, I will say this. I I do have a nice Javante uh, second round, uh, um, Sutton, Judy, and Russ uh, stack that I was able to put together with Sutton falling to the end of the uh, the fourth, Judy on the flip side in the fifth. So that's a nice stack I think you're able to put together on an offense that I could see, you know, blown up. There's, there's only so many offenses you could stack where you could see them being a hot team that every week is pumping out 30-plus points. I could see Denver being that team. But, Theo, you're right. I, I, you know, you bring up the, the other side of it. That defense, I think, is going to be a very strong defense. How many shootouts can they get into? On the flip side, they're in that AFC West, so we could see some fi- you know fireworks on a weekly basis with teams having to catch up. Yeah, and it's it, you could just paint a picture where you want a lot of AFC West guys. Mm-hmm. Um, would you guys both think that that's the that that's the the conference where excuse me that's the division where we're going to see kind of the most fantasy. Uh, friendly uh, teams, or is is that that division kind of getting boosted up a little too much? I yeah, Dan. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I think uh, you know, every everybody's thinking the same thing for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I I do think sometimes people are going after it a little too hard. Like Denver's one of those teams that if I could stack them, um, I'm not going to be afraid to do it. But I'm also, they're not a team that I'm going to be doing a lot of reaching to make the stack work. 
So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'll say this to answer that one. Um, you know, you look around the league and all these other divisions, you really can't say, oh, my God, look at these offenses and all these other divisions. You know, look at the NFC North, you know, eh, you, you know, they got the Bears, Packers offense. Nobody's in love with this year. Same thing. Uh, you know, you go to the AFC North. It's like eh, hit or miss. The, a, uh, the AFC South is nobody. Nobody's going to get excited about any of these offenses. So, yeah. All the attention in the offseason has been focused on that AFC West and those matchups and the quarterback matchups. That's what everybody's got, you know, excited about. Then you look around the skill players on all these teams. It's like, yeah, you know, there's a reason why we're all excited about the AFC West. Deservedly so. Real life and fantasy. There should be a lot of fireworks in these games. And I do think that that's something that like as as like high stakes and also like a fantasy football industry has been able to nail is the offense that's going to give us the most fireworks that hasn't really backfired. I remember years ago it was the NFC South and mm-hmm. it, it paid off. Um, so yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that it's all there's top notch quarterback play. Um, we like a number of the offensive players. And like we said, you know, it's a division where we've seen fireworks in the past and I think we'll continue seeing it. Um, you, you brought up ADP um, and how you're not reaching. Do you have at this point, a do not draft list of guys you're completely avoiding or is it don't hate the player, hate the ADP and you're willing to add some of those guys. Maybe if they, they fall in a draft. Yeah. I mean, willing to draft them. Sure. And there's certain guys that I'm like, ah, I know that one September rolls around and it's main event season. Those guys won't be on my team barring a, a, a miracle barring, you know, a, a drastic, you know, maybe two, three round fall or whatever. There's just guys I don't want, you know, but we all like that. Um, so yeah, at this point, um, there are guys that I know I don't want and, and I try and get away from, but it's also online championship season. And, you know, do I sneak in a a share or two of certain guys that when they come to me at value, I take them then just so I can have, uh, you know, a, a little bit here and there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how I, uh, that's how I play it. And I wanted to actually go over an online championship. Um, we have on the board here a – let me put this on full screen. Mm-hmm. We have a, an online championship that, that I was in um, with Chris the other night. Um, I picked out of the 10 hole with Nelson Sousa. Um, Mike Sanda was in this draft. Mm-hmm. Chris, maybe you could talk a little bit about your build. Um, yeah. Your team three here. Um, you taught you started out with Justin Jefferson, which is you know a no, either you're taking Cup or Jefferson. We don't have to really focus on that one. Right. Um, but Travis Etienne, um, you took him at the at towards the end of the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that pick. Yeah, this was an interesting draft, guys, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, so I'm glad we're going over this one. Uh, right now, I'm. I don't know about how you guys feel, but the, I've been the most comfortable drafting at the back end of uh, the board all, all season so far. You know, I, I've put myself in the front. Obviously, we all have to do that. We have to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions. There's certain, you know, where the board is landing right now. There's uh, spots where I'd rather not be in right now. Uh, the front of the draft uh, is that for me. So in this particular draft, um you know, getting Jefferson, which, you know, I love that getting Jefferson, but on the back, back end, I wanted to make sure I get that running back uh, right there in, in round two. 
do I love it, ETN? Yeah, I do. And I have a, a good amount of shares of him, and I will continue to keep adding shares. Most of my shares so far uh, this season are in the third round. This one, I took him in the second round. I believe this – when did we do this draft? This was last week, this right? Was Friday, this was uh, last Friday night. Last Friday. So we're still fresh off of everybody panicking a little with, with uh, James Robinson, uh, you know, coming into the mix where you saw ETN becoming, you know, a steady force in the second round for a while. And then the James Robinson news hits, uh, you know, about 10 days ago that he's, you know, all of a sudden back in the mix and he's going to be at practice and, and, and he's practicing. And then he started dropping a little bit. I, I don't think James Robinson's going to be that huge of a factor with ETN. So right there, I'm taking Travis ETN, um, a pass catching back that I feel could be a, an absolute PPR monster this year. So much so because just where I know I'm going to set up in the third and fourth rounds of, of this trip. So, you know, if I go zero RB here, I, it, it's a difficult build for me this year. Um, I'm not in love with the running backs in that dead zone. So I want to make sure I come out of those first couple of rounds with that RB1 bell cow that I can build off of. And when you're in the front of the board right now, your, your options are pretty slim. Now you'll look at the third round, you know, third round reversal in the NFFC. You'll see Alvin Kamara there. That was before the news broke. I firmly can, you know, expect now Kamara to be safely in the middle of the second round going forward, if not higher. Uh, with the news that this case has been delayed. But, um, you know, to back, so I would have taken Kamara over ETN if the draft was tonight. But it, this ETN pick is mostly because I know what in my head, the end of the third round to come around to the quick to the fourth round, I'm banging out two receivers there. So this is a more of a, a look ahead with taking Travis ETN there and jumping him a little bit when I know he was mostly going in the third round at this point. And Dan, I wanted to get your opinion on Chris. Chris brought up the third round reversal. Um, when you're picking, like in, in the in the top half, um, or let's let's say you know anywhere in that, any really anywhere in the first in the first half of the of the of the first round, um, how does the third round reversal kind of ch- change or affect your team building philosophy? Like, are you more apt to try to add? a, you know, a, a balance or how, basically how do you approach that, Dan? Yeah, that's going to be pretty similar to what Chris is doing. I mean, I'm, I'm most likely going to come away with one or two running backs in the first two rounds, just simply because as, as Chris said, right now, there's nobody who's super appealing that you can be sure is going to drop into that, that, you know, what is the back half of the third round, you know, the front of the first round. Um, you know, so it just kind of makes it a weird spot and the, and the receivers there are fantastic, you know, so there's just no reason to try to, you know, reach and and make a running back happen there. Mm Uh, you know, you're just better off grabbing those receivers and, you know, not, not trying to force something that's not there. Yeah. And don't you guys feel that as you go down the board, when you're in the top half, just say the top four over here, if you don't get that running back. The, the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth, that's just all yellow stickers right now, right? right. And then when you Absolutely. come back around and you're at the end of the um, the fifth round and the beginning of the sixth, when you make that next turn, um, you know, late 50s, early 60s, that's when the yellow stickers just start to dry up a little bit, you know? And now everybody's like, well, where am I going here? So 
you really want to have those three big wide receivers in your back pocket because at that point now you're going into all right am i going to build it where i go with a dead zone running back or two am i going to take an elite quarterback because listen nobody wants quarterbacks right now in these drafts it's amazing um mm. you know quarterbacks drop so can you land a kyler or a lamar uh you know whoever you want right there uh, you know, I see Waller and Kittle on a nightly basis just falling right into that spot in the beginning of the draft in that, you know, 57 to 65 range. Uh, I got Kittle at 70 overall the other night. Just nobody wants Kittle and, and Waller. It's just uh, it, it's like nobody, you know, everybody forgot about the tight end, uh, the elite tight end position. So um, it's just different pockets right now of drafts. And, and once you get a good feel of these drafts, Every night, you know how they're going to play out a little bit. You know where you got to get your receivers. You know where you got to get your running backs. And, and uh, it's always interesting to, to do these different builds. And I did it here. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it, uh, you know, uh, as we go on here. The next yeah. the next round, you go with Mike Williams. Um, mm-hmm. Are you are you drafting both Chargers wide receivers? Um, or are you in the – Mike Williams is ascending, Keenan potentially descending corner. Yeah, I'm in that. I'm in that one, Theo. Um, you know, I didn't like the way I saw. I didn't like what I saw out of Keenan at the end of last year. He's turning thirty. I, you know, I know he's going ahead of Mike Williams right now. Uh, he's going in the beginning of that third round. For me, you know, they gave Mike Williams the big bucks. He's the younger guy. I just see, you know, like two ships passing in the night. I just think Mike Williams is going to take over as the one in this offense, uh, you know, starting this year. And Keenan, uh, you know, starts to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, Mike Williams is funny because Mike Williams had that massive start to the year last year, Mm -hmm. and then he finishes well. It was like that middle that was weird, but he was injured those weeks. So Injured. He's just got to stay healthy, guys. He's always got these nagging little injuries, always has a little something. He's one of those guys that – you know, you look up in the first quarter, he's limping off to the sideline with something. It's, you know, he's one of those players. So he, I've always been a Mike Williams guy these last couple of years. I've always been in on him. I'll probably be, like I said, in on him again this year. But this might, this is his last, uh, you know, a last hurrah in my eyes for me. And, uh, and Dan, maybe you could kind of share your thoughts. I know you've talked about this on previous Go District podcasts, but kind of, your outlook for those two wide receivers. Um, and I'll, I'll ask Dan, it, like, are you more apt to take Keenan Allen in like a 12 man league, you know, like, like we've drafted last night or, or in a super or varsity and FFPC varsity and FFC super than you would be in, in kind of a larger tournament. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he lends himself quite as well to, uh, you know, the contests, but you know, I, I do still value Allen. Um, uh, I think he's still going to be Herbert's security blanket. Uh, he's going to get a lot of stuff over the middle. Uh, you know, what, what's going to tell the tale of the season is whether he's very efficient with what he gets or whether he's kind of inefficient with it. And, uh, you know, as you guys are talking about, he was he was getting kind of inefficient last year. I don't know if there was more of an injury going on than what we knew about or something like that. Uh, you know, I could certainly see that being the case. So I haven't totally given up hope on Allen, but, uh, you know, I also know that uh, in a a tournament setting, he's he's more the guy who's going to get you, you know, like 12 to 17 points rather than the guy who's going to get you 25 to 30 every now and then. Mm -hmm. 
Chris, I want to touch on one guy you didn't select and I didn't select in this draft, but I know you were incredibly bullish on last year. Um, Michael Pittman, I took him the other night at the 212. Um, yeah. He's go goes at the 301 here. Do you think, I think pretty much every guest we've had on the GOAT district likes Michael Pittman for this year, but do you think we're starting to see him get drafted kind of at, at his peak range? Yeah, I do. Especially that I, I started seeing him come off the board 20, 21 overall, 22. You know, now he's firmly like a, a second rounder where, you know, a month ago he'd make it to the third round, uh, you know, in every draft. But now he's becoming a a late second rounder in most of these drafts. So, yeah, I think this is his, where he's going now is his peak. And, and maybe we are starting to overdraft him a little bit, but. You know, he's always, to me, since he got drafted, been that prototypical future alpha number one, you know, and that's the way we're drafting him, I guess, you know, now. Uh, I did like him last year. He was a great price on the board last year. And, and this year, I was hoping that he wasn't going to get hyped up as much as he was uh, in, in this offseason. And like you said, everybody just seems to love him. Nobody has something negative to say about him. Uh, and you know, the spot on the draft board reflects that. So, so yeah, these two would never really be an issue, but, uh, Chris, would you take, uh, you know, Michael Pittman or Mike Williams, which, which one do you Pitt. like it? No Pittman. Yeah. Pittman. It'll be Pittman all day. Yes. Okay. At, at, at what point do you, you know, like, uh, looking at this board, um, uh, where, where do you think Pittman should have been going? Probably somewhere in the third, but, uh, not necessarily at the beginning. Uh, I would take Pittman over Keenan Allen. Um, so I know Keenan went before him in this. I, I like Pittman over Allen. Uh, no, I think he went. Uh, listen, he he went in the right spot. When you look at everybody else, I think I, I I've been taking yeah. T Higgins over over Pittman. I, I have him a spot or two above. But uh, that's the thing. Like I take I'm taking Pittman over Waddle. I'm taking Pittman over AJ Brown. I'm taking Pittman. I like DJ Moore a, a lot. I think there's a case to be made for Pittman versus DJ Moore. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. After that, I would take Pittman over every receiver off the board after that. So, yeah, right. he, listen, he's 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 going in the right place. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think that Pittman is he's very like Matt Ryan's uh, wide receiver one historically has been been heavily targeted. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Pittman can win different ways. He can be a low ADOC guy. Um, and I think, you know, he, he has potential in the red zone as well. So, like, I think he's there. I just worry about, like, when we talk about league winners, um, you know, for him to be the league winner, I think we need 160 targets. Um, and that's that does worry me a little bit because it gives you a little bit, um, you know, less room for error. But, you know, like I said, I drafted him the other night at the 212. So I'm obviously in on him as well. Um, Dan, is there any other OTC choices in this this third round that, that you see that that maybe you would have done differently? Or anything that stands out as a bad pick? Nothing that really stands out as being really egregious. Um, no. I mean, I, you know, a lot of these are just, you know, different people prefer different players. Like, I'm not taking Chubb mm -hmm. there, but uh, I know a lot of people do. That's where I expect to see Chubb go. Um, and then if we're keeping track, uh, Nelson and I took Stefan Diggs, Joe Mixon, and then T Higgins um, from the back end at, at the, at the uh, 10 spot. 
the fourth round last year and last summer, Chris, you spoke glowingly about Kyle Pitts being one of the best tight end um, prospects you've ever seen. And you also talked about Jamar Chase as one of the best wide receiver prospects you've ever seen. Um, mm -hmm. So you had great foresight, um, mm -hmm. you know, when you were in the GOAT district last summer with that. Now you're drafting Kyle Pitts. I took him yeah. this week in an NFFC at the 3-4 turn. So I took him right ahead um, where you were. Right. He seems like he could be a league-tilting guy in this range for NFFC. Is that how you're seeing him as well? Yeah, that's my first share of Kyle Pitts. Um, and it's mostly because of, like I said, I'm, I've been doing most of my drafts in that 9 to 12 range, that 8 to 12 range. So you're not going to take them, you know, 25, 26, 27. So I'm too early for him there. And I'm never going to get him at, you know, 45 to uh, 48 in that range. So he's always going right there in the middle. So this was the perfect opportunity for me to get a, you know, a nice share of Kyle. Um, and I said to myself as, you know, before this draft, you know, we, every draft you're in, you say, all right, in this spot, this would be a nice, you know, opportunity to get a certain player. Um, and I, I remember saying, Hey, if Pitts is on the board early fourth here on, on my turn, no matter what kind of build I have, that's going to be an opportunity for me to get uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, a Kyle Pitts share. And uh, that's what I did. So, yeah, it was a different look for me. Um, I don't usually have a tight end early, but if I'm going to jump uh, at tight end uh, in these online championships right now, uh, I want to try and get as a, a good amount of Kyle Pitts uh, this season. Because, yeah, I do think he's going to be a, a league winning type play at tight end. Dan, Team 7 takes Gabe Davis ahead of DK Metcalf. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I'll Godwin, I think there'll be different opinions on because of when he comes back. But Brandon Cook, Samari Cooper, Juju, Jerry Judy, Rashad Bateman. And he ends up with Rashad Bateman around later. Is is that the range you're considering Gabe Davis right now? Or do you think that that's maybe a little high? Um, start with Dan and then, Chris, I'd love to hear your opinion on Gabe. Yeah. Well, it, it, if I want Gabe Davis, I guess that's where I have to consider him because that's kind of where he's going. Um you know, and, and he's a player, again, I don't want to be shut out on, but uh, I I don't have a strong enough belief in him that I'm, I'm sitting here going, yeah, when I get to my mains, I'm going to be uh, loading up on Gabe Davis. Uh, jury's still out on him for me. Uh, so, I'll, you know, when I'm in, uh, you know, kind of my mid-stake stuff and doing uh, best ball tourneys and things like that, I'll be getting some shares. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how training camp goes and what the buzz is. Uh, from the coaching staff and everything else and see uh, how, how he looks like he's going to fit into that offense. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely shown plenty of flashes before. Uh, so he's a tough guy to fade completely. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I see it the same way you do, Dan, honestly, uh, I've taken a couple shares of Gabe Davis. You know, it's a, it's a stack that you could put together. Um, mm -hmm. I was lucky enough. Uh, I was in actually in a draft with Nelson the other night and I put together, uh, I got Josh Allen to fall to me at 47 overall, Ooh, which I, I believe it was the latest that, um, he fell in any of these online championships. So it's, it was just one of those drafts where all 12 owners are sitting there saying, I'm waiting on quarterback. And, and you come in with a mind frame like that. And, you know, I had digs in the 11 hole got Allen, came back around, and I said, well, this is the type to, you know, this is the draft to, to take Gabe Davis and build the stack, and, and that's what I did. So a uh, nice little build stack there. You could put that together with a Diggs and, and Gabe Davis, but 
Gabe Davis right now, I think, you know, coming off of the the four touchdown game versus the Chiefs in the playoffs, he's gotten hyped out of control. He's um he, yes, he's very talented. He's still the, you know, by far the number two in this offense. So when you compare him with the other receivers that you could select in this mid to late fourth round, early fifth, there's other guys I prefer over Gabe Davis. So I won't have much of Gabe Davis. I don't see right now in, um, you know, come main event season, but right now I'm getting a, a, a decent amount of shares on him here and there. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you guys. I don't want to get shut out on Gabe Davis, but I think oftentimes I find myself going in another direction when I'm OTC Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily a guy I, I dislike. Um, it's just more attractive options kind of right near him. Um, so he's just he's just super, super interesting. Um, you we love the offense. You know, we, we, right. that's, it, it is. It's not one of these offenses where he's like, there's certain offenses where you want a part of, you want a piece of the number two receiver because it could support it. Look at T. Higgins, you know. He's, T. Higgins is a late second, early third rounder. Because we love the Bengals offense. You know, this is an explosive offense. Same thing with the Bills. You got a big time quarterback. So, um, you know, do I think he's, when I see him come off the board in the middle of the fourth, do I say, eh, not for me? Yeah. But uh, you could potentially see him having those big spike games, you know, throughout the season. We went Brees Hall um, at the end of the fourth round here. Mm-hmm. Um, you are, you're a New York City guy. Um you're you're really in, in tune with the Jets and the Giants. Um, what is your thoughts on Brees Hall? Is he being drafted in the correct range? Um, and kind of your ex- expectations for him for the season? Yeah, so I, I think you stole him here in this draft uh, that late. And I think since this draft, I guess the last four or five days, uh, you could see his ADP trending up to where now he's going at the end of the third round, early fourth round. And I had this conversation with a friend and was like, hey, listen, after these big, big running backs in the first two rounds come off the board in your early second round, uh, you know, like a James Conner um, and and I guess Nick Chubb and Cam Akers, like right in that little pocket where they go mid third, you know, you feel like there's a lull. It's like everybody sits back and is like, all right, you know, we're done with the running backs for a while. Like I said, you know, the fourth and fifth round is all yellow this year. So everybody starts hitting on all these receivers and it's like, well, when the drop off comes, you know, who do you see? He asks, who do you see could be that running back that potentially takes a step up and, and, you know, climbs up to that late third round, early fourth, and and even potentially higher. To me, the answer is easy. It's Brees Hall. And, you know, all I think he needs is one preseason game where he goes crazy. He looks unbelievable catching balls out of the backfield you know, maybe drops 120 yards and two touchdowns. And I think come main event season, we're going to see him right there in that 25 to 30 range. Uh, Brees Hall, he would be my prediction as the running back that's going to be that hot name come end of August, early September in, in Maine's with the money on the line. And everybody says, hey, this is the rookie running back that's going to win me all the money. Right. And if I can just throw in, I mean, this is this is a prime example of why we don't chase Um uh, because if you take a look from DJ Moore um, in the third round all the way to Jerry Judy in the fifth round, that's 21 picks, 16 of them were wide receivers. I mean, there was, a, you know, mm-hmm. all, all those receivers are, are definitely, you know, valuable players and all that. But there was definitely some chasing going on there. I mean, you know, Hall probably should have gone before he did. 
And, yeah. you know, you just, you, you just see guys kind of wanting to get in before all the good receivers are gone. So they're, you know, they're following the herd rather than thinking about what's really available. Yeah, that goes back to the the sides of each board. You know, you're in tough spots if you're at the right. the you know if you start off, you know, running back, running back. Like, look at Team Twelve. You know, he starts off running back, running back. Well, now he knows he's got to hit the receiver position at forty eight, forty nine. But he passed, and he takes the value with Zeke. Uh, you know, if that's you know if you guys see it the way I do, you know, you're getting a yep. big time running back to put as your flex play here. Right. Um, the, you can't go honestly like his his start. Derrick Henry and Saquon followed up by Pittman and Cooks. I think he mm -hmm. had a nice structured start. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the Zeke pick, and, and I really think that the that the Schultz pick kind of really messed him up. Oh, um, yeah. And I think you just – it's hard to play catch-up at wide receiver where he ends yeah. up having to use that, that Myers, Hardman, and Julio Jones pick back-to-back-to-back is just – they're kind of mm -hmm. harder bets. Um, and he's forced to, forced to do that. So, yeah, I'm – I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, it's easy yeah. to get excited with the names, uh, you know, but then there's certain times you got to look down the road, like I always say, and and say, all right, well, listen, if he wanted to take Zeke there and and build his team with a running back heavy team and and make Zeke his RB three and flex play, yeah, that's fine. But you got to come back with either that you know that Murray pick or Schultz and and dig back into the wide receiver. Uh, room or else your wide receiver three is going to look like a Sky Moore and, and a Garrett Wilson and Jacoby Myers. And uh, I think you're playing catch up at, at that point. Yeah. And, you know, not to not to bag on this guy too much or anything, mm -hmm. but, you know, mm -hmm. part, of, part of the deal is that, you know, you take that third running back in this format where you need to start three wide receivers and you're, you're saying, OK, that's going to be my flex. But then he follows it up with a quarterback and a tight end. Um you know, so he's got kind of an early quarterback and kind of an early tight end. Um, and that's what really puts him in the hole. You know, like if he'd gone wide receiver, wide receiver there and waited around until Prescott came back, he could have built a different stack with the Cowboys that was probably a little bit better and more balanced rather than trying to go Elliott Schultz. And then he leaves himself in a better spot on the wide receivers. The only three mm -hmm. running back starts that I've liked this year have been three straight running backs to start out the draft or two straight running backs with Brees Hall, um, which can sometimes be three straight running backs to start the draft. It's mm -hmm. just, it's so hard to play catch up, um, you know, from Dan and I talking on the show to all the, you know, Chris, Chris Vaccaro, Nelson Sousa, Glenn Lowy, Tommy Libretti, um, Chris Ebel, any of the NFFC guests we've had on um, have all kind of reiterated the fact that it's really hard to catch up at wide receiver and I'll throw FFWC in the same mix here where you just don't necessarily see impactful waiver wire guys either. There's not right. too many of them throughout the year. So if you miss out at wide receiver in the draft, um, you're playing catch up all year long. Uh, one yeah. wide receiver that one wide receiver that we expect to move up, um, you took him here um, at the end of the fifth round. You take Michael Thomas at the at the 510 um, and Dan you pounded the table for him last night in the uh, the pros versus Joes. Um, do you guys expect Michael Thomas to be to be moving up boards? I mean, the the brief video I'm seeing um, from training camp, he looks like his he looks explosive. He looks back to his normal self. And kind of where do you guys see him kind of settling in as we get towards main event season at the end of the month? Um, I see him moving up and settling in main event season in the fourth. 
depending on what happens here the rest of camp, as long as he keeps looking good, maybe he flashes in a preseason game, if they even let him play in the preseason game. But, you know, people keep putting these hype videos out, showing him looking good and everything. And, listen, we're all wide receiver whores, uh, you know, come main event season. And what happens during main event season? The wide receivers get pushed up the board more and more and more. So right now I was just taking my discount, uh, Michael Thomas, uh, right here, end of the fifth round. Um, I don't think you'll see him there much longer. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this board. I, I will be surprised if Michael Thomas doesn't come off the board in most drafts ahead of Chris Godwin. I'm with you on that. How about Dan, where are you at with, um, kind of how high you would push him at this point, Dan? Yeah. I mean, if he stays healthy, um, I don't have any problem pushing him up, um, into the fourth round for sure. Uh, just because of the fact that, you know, I know we're, you know, we're all kind of, you know, wore out on the Michael Thomas thing. And that's, that's what's affecting his ADP right now, I think, and, and kind of keeping his ADP depressed where it is, uh, you know, because we've, it, it's been basically, you know, two years or almost three years since we've really seen uh, Michael Thomas be Michael Thomas. But on the other hand, you know, you got to give the guy credit for not coming back too early. He tried to play through it uh, the year that the injury happened and it was a disaster. And he said, I'm just not going to do that again. And mm-hmm. he didn't. And so, you know, I, I, for one, am, you know, I, I like the fact that he did take that time and he is, you know, waiting until he got it right. And so I'm expecting that he's going to be able to kind of move right back into where he was. Uh, you know, they're not going to pass as much or anything like that. It's Seamus. It's not Drew Brees, but you know, Michael Thomas, I think, could definitely be the engine on that offense, and especially if Kamara misses time this year, uh, that's going to put even more on Michael Thomas. Yeah. And I'll say Michael Thomas or Gabe Davis right now, guys. I'll take uh, Gabe Davis in that scenario. That's that's tough. Right right now, I'd probably take Gabe Davis, but. I mean, I could I could see in main event season me taking Michael Thomas over Gabe Davis. Yeah, it could happen. I, I you know I can understand that you know there would have to be the right circumstances for it, but I could understand that happening. You know, if Michael Thomas is looking good in the preseason, and you know the the mm-hmm. reports on Gabe have been just you know kind of nothing out of the ordinary, uh, I might push him up over him. Yeah, yeah. If you look I, at the, yeah, I'm I'm right, sorry, now, right now, I think I'm 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 Gabe, but I think what Dan. Dan uh, is saying makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Chris. That's a big jump right there. If Michael Thomas is going to come off the board before Gabe Davis, especially in this draft, I mean, what is it? Like a dozen wide receivers went in after Gabe Davis to Michael Thomas. You know, there's a lot right. of guys he's got to jump. But uh, for me, I'm just saying in this particular build, the wide receivers, like I said, end the fifth round here where I took Thomas. This was the perfect, you know, opportunity scenario build for me to grab this Michael Thomas share. You know, I, I go with the elite tight end in the fourth, which I didn't plan on doing. I thought it would be all receivers. I get the Kyle Pitts share. Now I know I'm stuck. And now I, I have to go back to the wide receiver position. And there's that wide receiver run that we talk about in the fifth year. You know, you see all the names, uh, you know, Judy, Bateman, Mooney, Elijah Moore comes off the board, uh, you know, and now I'm like, this is where it tails off, right, guys? This is where it tails yeah. off. You see Waller and Kittle, Come up next because the guys to the left of me say, all right, listen, I'm not going to take a step down at wide receiver. 
let me make the right move and take a step up and, and give myself a strong tight end team here. That's what they do with Waller and Kittle. And now there's the drop off a little bit, in my opinion. Kirk, Thielen, you know, what do you want to do with D Hop? I, I take D Hop in this scenario saying, all right, I'm going to take D Hop, play the long game, and, and hopefully come back and, and get myself a solid five, six that, uh, you know, can fill in for a while for him. And, and that's how I tried to build out this team. Uh, from 1912 as a, as a question uh, in the chat, OTC right now, today, if we're drafting a main event, Jalen Waller or Deontay Johnson, either one you can jump in. Oof. Dan, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I'll take Waddle here. I mean, it's close. Mm-hmm. But I'll go uh, Yeah, no, it's it's Waddle for me also. Uh, Deontay, I uh, just got that bad taste in my mouth this year so far. You know, he's holding out. He wants his money. Uh, the quarterback situation is all over the place. And uh, I'm a little uh, worried about where Deontay's coming off the board right now. I expect him actually to be the one wide receiver that starts slipping, you know, from where he's been going off the board. I, I expect him to start falling down a little bit. I'm, I'm Waddle as well. Um, I have drafted some Deontay Johnson. Um, and I think that this board, like, there's some drafts where you see them go a little closer than, than this one. Um, these guys, they're, mm-hmm. they're maybe about a round apart in this one. But that's, that's a great question from 1912 because – they're both like these super enticing guys um, based on what we've seen in the past. But isn't it kind of funny that we're, we're a lot more comfortable with Tua Tagovailoa um, than yeah. you know, obviously Trubisky, but we, we have at least a little bit of history there um, where we've seen Waddle succeed with Tua. Um, whereas Mitch, it's like a mixed bag and there's all these question marks in Pittsburgh right now. So I, I might be with you. Chris, I think it might be time to, to pump the brakes on Deontay, and at least until there's a big correction. Um, I, I, I will say this. I have consistently, since he came into the league, undervalued Deontay Johnson. Yeah. Uh, so there's a chance I'm doing it again. Uh, he, the last Pittsburgh receiver I can remember doing that with was Heinz Ward. Always used to undervalue that guy. Um, you know, because it's just, it wasn't that exciting, but uh, he just got the job done. Uh, you know, so Deontay Johnson, he's one of those guys, again, if I'm going to be in a, uh, you know, a confined league rather than a attorney, uh, Deontay Johnson has a little bit more appeal to me. I want to backtrack. We were on the, the topic of this wide receiver range, Brandon cooks, uh, last year I drafted him a lot and I, he was great success. So, I mean, I drafted him in, in the eighth round of an FFPC main event with Andrew Schellenberg that did very well. Um, and now he's going, you know, in the fourth round. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen him go early fourth in, in FFPC. Um, I've seen him, you know, kind of – he's kind of safely in the fourth round, we should say. Um, do you think that he's a capped upside player that maybe is kind of like getting getting drafted towards the peaks? Or do you think that there's a chance for just an absolute target smash season, Chris? I think uh, the latter. I think it's a – I think there's a – totally a, a shot at a target smash season. And uh, I can't see him coming off the board any later than he's going. You know, he consistently goes on the fourth round right at that turn, you know, 45 to 52 range. I wouldn't have any problem with anybody taking him at the, uh, the three, four turn. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. he's the clear number one in an offense that can, you could see them playing catch up a lot. Uh, I think the kid Mills, uh, you know, has proved last year he could get him the ball and and force feed it to him. 
Uh, I don't see any reason. I don't see much not to like about Brandon Cooks this year. Um, if you're drafting him as your, you know, uh, wide receiver three, if you if you go with a zero, uh, if you go with a hero RB approach, and and you go running back three straight receivers, if he's your three, I think you're thrilled. And uh, vice versa, I think if you go running back, running back, and you hit him up as your wide receiver too, I think that's a perfect build too. So uh, yeah, Cooks. Um, if you get him in the fifth, start going to church. Uh, you you uh, you're in a good position. Dan, thoughts on Cooks? Yeah, I like Cooks. Uh, I might be not quite as high as on him as Chris is, but uh, I'm pretty high on him. I don't I don't have a problem taking him where he's going right now. Um, I, I certainly like him better than Cooper. I like him better than Juju. I like him better than Judy. Um, I, I like him better than Godwin, uh, probably right now as well. So, and even maybe even Amon Ra St. Brown. So he's, he's in the right range for me. Full disclosure, Dan and JD and I were practically praying for, for cooks at one point last <laughs> night. And was, we missed him. We missed him. I think by, it was one or two picks, Danny. We, we got snake. It was one pick away. Yeah, we, last night. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Dan. If you and um, not, not Dan, I'm sorry, Theo. Uh, if you and Nelson, if Brees Hall comes off the board there, uh, and you're in that spot and Hall's off the the board, um, are are you taking Cooks there, or are you going with any of these other receivers that came off the board after? You know, I think Cooks was de- would definitely have been a, a guy we would have considered there. Um, I like him. And I think like you make you make some good points. I yeah, I would say I would say Cooks probably would have been the pick there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the board in case we would have maybe pushed somebody up, but I think it would have been Cooks. One thing about Cooks that I think is super interesting is like John Mechie, it's a very sad, sad situation. Yeah. But I think him missing the uh season kind of solidifies Cooks a little more where they're gonna have to lean on him. They don't get an exciting talent coming in midseason, um, and I think that it's he could see a very like an early uh, target share that kind of sustains. Um, so, and he's been, you know, more um, he he's been more reliable in terms of of playing games than I think his his reputation leads right. on. I mean, think of, people think Brandon Cooks is this guy who missed all this game, but he's been pretty Teflon in terms of um, you know being there out on the field. So. Yeah, I like Cooks. I that's just, true. Yeah, the, that, I'm sorry. That's yeah. It is, Theo. It's true because, you know, you go back three years ago, three, four years ago, concussion after, you know, a lot of concussion issues. Uh, you know, you always felt like he was unreliable. There was an issue getting traded here, there. Now it's kind of like he settled in. He, You know, he's got his feet under him and, and he's kind of reliable. And I don't know if people are a year behind on the fact that maybe this guy is actually reliable now in the, you know, second half of his career. One guy next to him is Amari Cooper. Um, we talked to Matt Schauf last night about his thoughts on the Cleveland offense. Um, with Deshaun Watson getting six games and you have clarity on the situation, mm-hmm. um, does Amari Cooper become a guy you're interested in or avoiding or kind of your general thoughts on him this year? No, now that Watson got six games, he's actually come back into my draft picture. Um you know, he's another guy I expect. It, it's funny in the last week, all of a sudden it was guys that I was like, uh-uh, you know, I, I won't own much of him uh, and, and fading certain guys like a Michael Thomas or Amari Cooper. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, Michael Thomas shows up at camp all of a sudden looking okay. And uh, we'll see him, we'll monitor him. But, you know, now he's 
you know, back in the plans a little bit. Uh, he's draftable in, in, on my board. And now with Cooper, I think there's certain plans that you have to, you know, uh, put through if you're going to draft a Cooper. If you could get him at the right price, I think there's certain, you know, ways to go building about a team if you draft an Amari Cooper where you can justify it. I'll put it that way. Can, can I say that I, I just hate Godwin and Cooper on the same team, though? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, and that's so what I'm talking sad, about, right? Dan. That's so what I'm talking sure. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not you're not starting the league out 4-0, despite your Najee, DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara, where, you know, if, if Kamara is there week one, you could potentially get a ton from your running backs. You're oh. potentially taking a zero from Godwin. Even worse. Having... Even worse. Look down the board. Gallup, too. Right. Oh, man. That's I mean, a this, is a, this is a, a lesson for uh, our listeners right here, not how to build a team uh, unless you think you're going to get by – um, you know, somehow through September or October and then come back with a juggernaut. But you don't want to draft this many uh, question marks at the receiver position early, especially at Godwin and Gallup, who you might not see till uh, uh, October. Yeah, two yeah, seasons exactly. ago, but Cooper had Cooper had 130 targets two seasons ago. Do you guys see him um, over or under that, that target range? Do you think that's a comfortable number for him this year? How many did you say? 130 was uh was how many he had not last season but the season before um last season he was saved by touchdowns mm-hmm. um, but he saw the targets two years ago for CD Lamb's rookie year um do you guys see him hitting that I mean he's interesting to me because like last year he had that incredible game one where that was like a, a big part of his his scoring output was in like two games. I had a, yeah. I, I worry a little bit about him having a step back, but it sounds like Stefanski likes him. I'm just trying to get a gauge of how targeted do we see him being? Because like Mooney and Cooks um, are both there in that range, and, and I think we can project them as high target guys. Michael Thomas, a high target guy. Um, but Cooper, it's like he's got to hit that uh, in order to produce. Do we see him hitting that target range? Mm-hmm. It, it would be close, maybe. I, it kind of depends on how much they pass in the first six games. Uh, I was just, yeah, same. Yeah, mm-hmm. to me, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a Cooper guy, um, and for me, the problem just has always been that he has way too many games of, you know, like eight, nine, ten points, and you know, and then he'll go out and he'll throw up a, a thirty or a thirty-five burger a couple times a season and then maybe, you know, one, one somewhere around 20, but everything else is just low, low, low. And, you know, I, I'm not too worried about consistency most of the time, but when you're one of those guys who just, you know, unless it's best ball and unless you're cheap, um, it's just hard to live with that in a managed lineup because you're going to put him in, put him in, he's going to kill you, kill you, kill you. And it, you know, Eventually, he's going to come through for you, or even worse yet, you might get so tired of getting killed by him, you take him out, you put in somebody else you think has a better matchup, and then uh, Cooper goes off. It's, he's just a frustrating guy for me, though. For me, yeah, I, just, I, I kind of like uh, a few of those wide receivers going right after him as well. Yeah. Um, like, I won't say he's like a guy I refuse to draft, um, but I, I like, I'm kind of with Dan. I have some apprehension. Um, but again, you can't, you know, turn your nose in the air at a at a wide receiver one 
um, right. that's had some fantasy success as well. So he's super interesting to me. Um, this this guy, I mean, th- you got we also got to remember here. This was a little early for Cooper in this draft on, yeah. on this board. You know, he's at right at, he's right at that turn. Most of the drafts I've seen him go, um, you know, late fifth, early sixth. Now, like I was saying, there's a scenario where I could build a, a a team together where if I could get him in the sixth as my number four, and then put a receiver I like early in the season later on as my five or six let's let's play uh, the game of i take cooper in the sixth as my number four and i don't have to force him in the, in the first six uh, weeks here and i could come back in the eighth or ninth and go a little early and get a rondell Moore, and then slip rondell Moore into my flex for the first six weeks while d hop is out and and play that game while i don't have to force feed cooper into my lineup and then play the flip game Come week six when Watson shows up and now I have a, a legit, you know, wide receiver two on my hands and Cooper as my flex and Rondell maybe gets the job done through September for me or, or a receiver such as that, but a Russell Gage where Russell Gage is falling down the board a little bit. Now, if I can scoop up Gage as a five on a Cooper build. You know, those are the types of, of builds that I'm talking about. Once you draft a Cooper or a Hopkins uh, type of player. And apologies to the the chat. The chat is lit. Um, I'm not, I am no JD when it comes to getting questions on the board quickly, but I <laughs> want to throw a couple in there. Um, shout out to the guilds. Um, great, great FFPC player. Um, he's, he's asking you about the gauge dip. You mentioned gauge. Yeah. You think there the market you, over, is, you think the market's overcorrecting? Um, seeing Gage go in that eighth round um, with the Julio signing and the, yeah. and the Godwin potentially not missing as much. Yeah, I, I just think that once this news of the Julio signing and then the Godwin right on the same day of him, you know, not going on the pup, it just we really didn't. A lot of people didn't know where to place Gage on the board, how big to drop him. You know, I think the first draft or two I did uh, a while back, uh, I was all in on Gage. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get the legit number two. I I was in the boat that we weren't going to see Godwin until November the earliest, if not December. I thought Godwin's out of the picture here. People were, were you know, fooling themselves thinking he was going to come back early. Um, I, and obviously there was no Julio. And then Gronk had already retired. So. I'm saying, all right, I could get Tom Brady as my quarterback with all the attention on Mike Evans, and he's going to make Russell Gage an eight-catch-a-game guy, just peppering him with targets all over the field. Um, so I was in on Gage then, and now everybody had to recorrect, uh, you know, on the board. So early on, yeah, but I could see that, you know, having a pivot off of Gage once, uh, you know, maybe October, mid-October rolls around. But I could see Gage getting off to a hot start here. I, don't, I still don't expect to see Godwin the first, uh, you know, three, four weeks of the season. Yeah, I think right. there's not a whole lot of clarity with that injury. Um, I don't think they'll rush him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, your four-week thing might be a pretty reasonable guess. Dan, you think it's an overcorrection for Russell Gage? You think he could be, like, a this year's Hunter Renfro, at least for a month to start the season? Man, I think he could be this year's Hunter Renfro uh, pretty much all year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know – I. Julio has definitely got plenty of his own question marks. You got Godwin coming back from a, you know, severe injury. And, you know, sometimes even when they do come back, they're, you know, they're not all the way back to what they used to be. 
you know, if, if, if Gage has inserted himself by the time Godwin gets back, if Gage has inserted himself as a, you know, a reliable cog in that offense, somebody that uh, Brady feels real comfortable working with, I don't see that changing all year. Uh, just like it was with Carr and, uh, and Renfro last year, Waller goes out, Renfro, uh, all of a sudden starts getting peppered with targets. And, you know, even in games when Waller came back in, that didn't change that much for Renfro. Yeah, this is this is a little bit of a, a steal here uh, on this board. Just looking at it off the top of my head, I think this is 91 overall yeah. for Gage. Um, so 91 overall, I don't, without looking, I don't know what it, you know, he got, if he got him as his number five or what, but that's a uh, home run city. Uh, I think, I mean, you got to remember Russell Gage was going in the fifties early on in drafts, you know, before all the hell broke loose in Tampa. So yeah, this is a, an overcorrection. I'm sure he comes back up and moves into the uh, late seventies, eighties. Once these receivers start moving up, I, I think he'll be in the seventies. Shout out to Kevin Wheeler, who um, is now with the 33rd team. Um, Kevin's one of the best, best uh, rankers out there. Uh, he he says that Godwin's going to come back when Julio gets it gets injured. So at least that would create a, a, a an easy to predict target share. Um, <laughs> I want to get to 1912's question, um, and we can hold up on the Trey Lance because I'll ask you about him in a second. But two running backs, you drafted Miles Sanders towards yeah. the back end of the seventh round. I took him 712 this weekend, so he's like a, definitely a beat up asset for a guy who at one point was a first round draft pick in the NFFC. Um, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, is also kind of in that range. Here we see him go in the late sixth round. Um, those guys right now in the last two weeks on OCs are running back 27 and running back 29. Um, yes. So they're, they're high-end RB3s right now. Are you drafting them structurally, um, or do you find that they're maybe a little bit too beat up? No, I like them where they're going on the board here. Um, you know, Sanders ADP right now is 84 overall. And depending on your build, if if he can be your RB3, I think it's a perfect shot to, you know, on a player to to take a shot on where he could exceed and, and be a solid RB2 when you get him in this eighth round. I, I think the hate for these, uh, you know, running backs in this range, some of them justified, some of them, you know, everybody hates Josh Jacobs. I still don't understand the Singletary hate. Uh, I think he should be going higher on the board. You know, there's Elijah Mitchell. All these guys make – all these guys are the reasons why people are out here drafting zero RB teams and, and going, you know, wide receiver heavy because then you land right in this – sixth seventh eighth round and you're getting starting running backs guys that could touch the ball 15 20 times a, a week you know singletary sanders mitchell jacobs uh do they come with some warts yeah can they bust out yeah that's the reason why they're going seventh eighth round all these guys these aren't the guys that we're all clamoring for those are the guys that are in the second and third rounds you know um but everybody's gonna have an opinion on which one's you want to kind of get a couple shares of and which ones you want to kind of stay away from for me, Miles Sanders behind this offensive line in Philly. Uh, yeah. I know it hasn't been pretty the last couple of years. I could chalk it up to injury sometime coach speak coach saying the right thing saying, Hey, he's our lead guy. You know, we just rotate some backs in. Yeah. Gainwell's going to catch some balls on third down. I just don't see that. I just don't see any other back there. That's, you know, going to get, 12 carries, 12 to 15 carries 
like I like I could see Sanders getting. So I'll come back in on Sanders one time, especially on a build like this when I have to, you know, this is the range to get my RB2. And uh, it would have been nice if I could have came back with a Ramondre Stevenson and have a 2-3 combo, but uh, I missed out on him. But, yeah, Sanders at this price, uh, I'll take most of the time. Dan, anything to add on those two running backs? I know we've talked about it about 10 times this uh, this offseason, um, those two guys specifically. Yeah, I think, I mean, really, anytime, you know, once you hit the sixth round here, uh, you know, for Dobbins, Dylan, on, you know, right through um, through through Pollard at least. Uh, you know, I think the running backs are in play anywhere in there. I would, you know, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. any problem uh, taking most of those guys, even uh, in the late sixth, early seventh. You know, they could go earlier than they are, and I'd still be fine with taking them. These are these are the controversial running backs. All of these right. guys, the Gibsons, and and all these guys, but. It just it just goes back to the build of do I want to have a zero RB build where I'm just loaded at receiver and and um, and tight end quarterback everything and then hit these rounds of seven eight nine and have to rely on two of these guys or do I want to have my bell cow already and then you know hit this range and then say all right let me take a chance on two of these guys in the seventh eighth ninth rounds exactly. and hope that one of them elevates themselves to a solid RB2 I can depend on every week and then go from there once I have my JT or McCaffrey or Eckler or whoever from that front of the board, you know, locked in. And and definitely listen to Chris when he talks zero RB because Chris has taken down um, an overall with with a zero RB build, um, and he was one of the first highly successful fantasy guys doing that. So, Chris, I, I like how you're able to change your strategy – um, you know, year by year, and you're not attached to mm-hmm. the value, you know, not attached to the to the philosophy over value. Um, but he certainly knows what he's talking about when it comes to zero RB. And do you feel like guys like Chris, you brought up like Ramondre Stevenson, mm-hmm. like, do you think this year is setting up for another year? We're going we're gonna to see hero builds be very successful, where you can go with a a guy like a Devin Singletary or a Miles Sanders and then follow up with one of these high upside guys that are appealing? Um, or do you sometimes like the look of these two RB starts? I like the, I mean, both. Yeah. You know, the, right? Both. I, 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 you know, I, I guess it's the biggest thing in our industry, right? Where every summer everybody sits around, what's the winning strategy? Well, the winning strategy is to, to pick the right players. in in each round you know and i can me you any of us can do it anyway every draft we're in a bunch of drafts i'm gonna have zero rb builds i'm gonna have hero rb builds or the one bell cow the way i refer to it i I, i'm gonna have i'm gonna have uh you know builds that i start two running backs sometimes even three running backs uh you could do it any which way i just think you you know we we practice we get all these reps in in these online championships and, and everything else throughout the summer just to see what spots on the board were the most comfortable with each philosophy, you know, right. I, I'm more, I could be more comfortable drafting two RB starts at the end of the, um, at the end of the first and second round uh, at the end of the first round and not that comfortable with that strategy in the beginning. So I know when main event season comes by and I get a two spot, okay, I'll build off of a you know, Taylor or McCaffrey, but I'm not coming back with another second 
running back just because I've practiced it enough where I'm not putting myself in a spots that I've failed in during online championship season where I don't like the rest of the, the way the team builds out, building off two running backs from that side of the board. So uh, that's what July and August is for. It's to put yourself in spots where you know where you want to build out your team, how you want to build out your team's strategy-wise from each spot on the board. All strategies work if you pick the correct players. Mm -hmm. And I think that this year is setting up for, like Chris said, you can go in in, in multiple directions. Um, it's I think it stems back to me where it's flat. You find like the mid-second to like the, the – the, back to like the mid first, you might have some guys that are, it's somewhat flat based on, on how you see them. So I think that it's how you set up early kind of dictates what you do for the rest of the draft. Um, but I think this year flexibility is the right word. Dan, I know you're super flexible with your builds. Are you seeing it that same way this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, part of it is you, you've got to be, uh, you know, willing to take the value where it comes to you. And to me, you know, the first few rounds, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to dictate what I'm doing too much there, but on the other hand, I'm also always looking at my draft, you know, like building it backwards, basically. Um, you know, so like a perfect example of this is Chris knew what he had coming in the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds was probably going to be wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, tight end thrown in there somewhere. And, you know, so he knew he needed to get that running back sometime in the first couple rounds, right? But other than that, I mean, he could just sit back and cherry pick that value. And that's that's what you want to do. Uh, you want to have an awareness of what's coming up and what you're likely to get in the future and let that influence what you're getting now, but also not be afraid to take that value. A la, you know, Kyle Pitts, Brees Hall, you know, uh, picks like that. Yeah. And, and listen, the zero RB builds, um, you know, I want to just say a couple of the, thank you for saying that deal um, with, with everything, but I think you got to always constantly change. That would be stubborn of me to have success for the years I did a while back, always going zero RB like I did and then not changing with the times or not coming off of that strategy and just going back to it and back to it every year. Here. And now, look, people are still going to stick with it. People still swear by it. Listen, Tommy Libretti just won a ton of money with zero RB builds. So you can win with it still. Um, you just have to be able to know, listen, if I'm in a draft and this isn't the, the time to execute it, you got to be able to get off of it and know how to get out of that and, and build a certain way. You can't just go into the draft and say, that's it. Zero RB is what I'm doing. I'm starting this draft off four wide receivers, five wide receivers, and, and not be able to adjust, in my opinion, you know. And, and the other thing I'll say is, you know, you look at these drafts, it, the boards are shrinking big time. And I'd hate to get myself in a position where I'm in that 10th round, right in that 100 to 120 range where you see these last of the, you know, reliable, not reliable, but running backs that we all are liking to put on our team as a four or a five to put yourself in a position where you need these guys to perform as your two or three every week and then you get past this section of the drafts now and it's no man's land that running back in, in my opinion so um i want to make sure that in that range i have a couple running backs that i can bail myself out if i'm a heavy wide receiver team 
through those first six uh, first six rounds. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And shout and, out to Tommy uh, Libretti. Um, we had Tommy on uh, the show. We highly recommend the uh, the episode he was on. Um, we deep dove into dead zone running backs. Um, you know, a range where Tommy regularly drafts his running backs as a zero RB guy. It was a great show. Highly recommended. Still, still uh, relative news um, that you could find in that, despite the you know couple injuries here and there. One question in the chat, Dave Gladstone. What's up with the two defenses, Chris? Uh, did I do two, two defenses in this one? I rarely did do. You, did uh, Dave, I rarely do. Say that again? I said, did you get auto-picked yeah. on the Chargers again, or was that just – No, I didn't. I, I I very rarely do. I am uh, – I'll let this cat out of the bag. I do love the Colts defense. That's a, a regular of mine in that you know 16th round range. And I think I just got to that last 20 uh, – that 20th round right there, and I actually am pretty high on the Chargers defense as well. And, uh, you know, certain drafts – hey, listen, we're going 20 rounds. In certain drafts, you get into the 20th. Uh, you get sniped a little bit on a couple of your late round guys and you say, hey, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity to take the two defenses. Uh, NFFC, listen, he- here's another thing I, I always say. Y- people will draft shame you to death. Anybody, they'll look and they'll, oh, my God, this guy drafted three or four quarterbacks. This guy drafted three tight ends. It doesn't matter. I'll draft five tight ends for all I care if that's the type of build. That, um, you know, if I'm strong at every other position and I get into the later rounds and I'm like, all right, I'm weak at tight end and I don't know which one of these guys are going to hit. And I'm in that, you know, 15, you know, uh, rankings of 15th or higher. And there's two, you know, two or three guys that I like. I'll take them bang, bang, bang. And then just hope one emerges earlier. I did that last year with Dalton Schultz. You know, he was on a couple of, you know, my late um, uh, teams in those last couple rounds. And hey, after the first uh, you know two weeks, I knew I had a tight end that I could be my starting tight end. So you never know. You just got to put. I like uh, the Chargers D. So there's certain weeks early on that I'll throw them out there and uh, you know and I'll play the matchups. Shout uh, question from Dave Gladstone: Was Deonta Foreman a block move, or do you prefer him um, over a few running backs who are still available? Uh, let's see here. I would say I doubt it was a, a block move from Chris. If, but if we were in the it New, York Super, New York Super, you might do a little block move. Main event um, season, maybe. Main event, no. Yeah, main event season, maybe. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not you know. Shout out to Mike Sander, the king of blocking in, in these drafts. Uh, and the, the king <laughs> I'm, of I'm no Sander. What'd you say? The the king of using the entire the entire clock. Oh, the yeah, the clock bleeder. That's yeah. It. I think we might have to. You know, I, I'm I'm pretty. I gave uh, Mike Edelman his nickname that we all call him now, Uno, back in the day. But we might have to give that uh, to Sanders. Sixty. The, Michael uh, the, be sixty. He uses the full sixty. <laughs> the full sixty or the or the clock bleeder. Uh, we we might have to give that one to him. But uh, no, it wasn't a um at all. It was not a block at all. It was. More of a, you get into these rounds uh, of the drafts and you're looking to build your running back room with uh, high upside, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, backup running backs on, on certain teams. And uh, hey, listen, we've seen McCaffrey go down two, three times, uh, you know, uh, two, three years in a row here. So 
Foreman is a, another running back I like taking on, on a lot of my drafts and online championship season. Who knows? Maybe McCaffrey goes down again, and uh, you got yourself a solid RB2 in Foreman. So, yeah. yeah I have a lot yeah. of Foreman as well. Yeah. Let, let me just go back to something real quick that Chris was talking about. Um, you know, like, you know, he'll take four tight ends late if, if that's what his, uh, his needs are. And I, I think a lot of people just don't really quite understand that strategy as much. You know, if, if you're feeling, you know, if you're feeling that bad about your tight ends, you're probably feeling pretty good about your wide receivers and running backs. Right. Uh, because you've been prioritizing them. And, you know, so it, it just doesn't make sense to sit there and grab, you know, like an eighth wide receiver or a seventh running back or something like that when you really still have a need at tight end, you know, because let's say you, you get down into that range and, you know, you feel like, OK, well, there's, you know, a few guys, I think they have a 25 percent chance of, uh, you know, turning into a decent tight end. If you grab only one of them, you only got a 25% chance. You grab two of them, you still only got a 50% chance. You grab three of them, now you're at a 75% chance. You grab four of them, you know, there's a much better chance you've got, you know, you're going to get a good tight end out of it. And the thing is, you know, I'll say, Chris, you also have uh, maybe the, the position and the position gets devalued in FFWC and, F and uh, NFFC drafting, um, mm -hmm. where I know Dan's had a lot of success occasionally starting two tight ends. Um, you know, do you, do you find that where the position gets devalued? Do you find, you find guys late and maybe you get some flex weeks out of that tight end too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, tight end is always the position I'll always wait on the most. Um, I'm never going to be the Kelsey guy. Uh, you know, I don't think I've ever even owned Travis Kelsey. <laughs> that might be wrong because he's been a stud, but I don't like the build off of the early tight end. So I'm always, and I've had success through the years of, of hitting on those mid-range tight ends, um, you know, in those eight through 13th round ranges. And I'll always draft two, you know, uh, especially if I, don't have that top seven round tight end, which I normally don't. So I'm always going to come with two, if not three. And, um, you know, just to go back on the point, you know, a lot of people, I don't, you know, listening at home, these are 20 round drafts. And I don't know if people get, you know, uh, tripped up with that sometimes because they'll look and they'll say, oh my God, he drafted three tight ends. But, you know, the board is shrinking, like I said. And whereas, you know, my 17th, 18th and 19th rounds, in early mid July was the George Pickens and the Wandell Robinsons and guys I could put like that. Well, those guys are no longer 18th rounders. They're 14th rounders, 13th. Yeah. Round. So those sleeper picks at receiver and running back, the Zamir whites that I was taking on all my teams in the 18th, 19th round, those guys aren't options for me anymore. So when I come into a draft and I feel like I have, like Dan said, five solid wide receivers, home run hitters, big time studs, five, six guys, three solid running backs, a big-time quarterback. And I get to that 16th, 17th, 18th round, and my starting tight end is a Irv Smith in the 12th, you know, whatever. Well, I'm going to come back and look and say, oh, you know what, Evan Ingram and, and David Njoku, you know, let me put these guys. They have a shot to revive their careers here, you know, and, and be the, you know, and – contribute and be starting tight ends. We see it every year where there's guys that are in the 15, 20 round, that tight end, two or three of these guys show up out of nowhere and hit. And those are two names right there. And there's others, believe me, I could go through it, um, but we won't, uh, you know, guys like that. So yeah, early in the season, 
I don't have. Let me see for the first two, three weeks if these guys are focal points in their, uh, you know, offenses. If they have solid roles, maybe they're the number two uh, option in the pass game. We could see that with an Evan Ingram or David and Joku. And if sure. one of them, if one of them does that, well, now hey, I was smart to in the 18th and 19th round come back with my second and third tight end with those guys. Let it play out for the first two weeks, and let me develop my tight end room into a starter. And you guys, that, that was gold right there. That's exactly it. That's that, that is 100% correct. And it's so much cheaper to have that tight end blow up when he's on your roster than to try to go chasing him in free agency. That's it. Right. No, I was going to say we avoid we avoid that first waiver wire run to make up yep. for it out of one off position, and you avoid having to use money in that important week one where you're going to have a chance at, at getting Elijah Mitchell. Um, than then you would having to go spend it on a, on a one-off guy. So, yeah, I, lo- I love the take on that. We've hit an, an hour 40. Chris has been super, super generous with his time, um, as always. Uh, I have about 50 guys I wanted to ask you about tonight. We're not going to get to all of them. But I'll, I'll say in a, in a short answer, is it? we'll talk about Chris being a New York guy. Are we back to Saquon season in New York? Yeah, we are. Good yeah, time, we are. Right? Yeah, we are. Um, many reasons to, to love to be back on Saquon again uh, this year. Uh, I don't know if people realize the way they rebuilt this offensive line and invested in it. And uh, it's just different than it has been the last couple of years, bringing in guys. Um, and then Evan Neal, another top pick. Uh, so the, 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 the O-line is rebuilt. It's better than it's been for, the, God, I, as a Giants fan, a long time. Um, you know, the coaching upgrade, the fact that they want to get him the ball in the pass game, the fact that he's got no competition in the backfield. It just, it adds up. It adds up. And most importantly, after all that, if that wasn't enough to sell you, it's the ever popular second year off of the major injury, which is what I always, I will never, I won't touch running backs the first year off of the ACL tear. You know, I'll always fade that second year. We're back in business. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's adding up uh, to that for sure. Yeah, he might sneak in that first round uh, by the time uh, September comes around. You might be able Definitely to use a possibility, about 10, you know, one hundred nine on on him. It's super mm-hmm. exciting. It's better for fantasy football in general when we have a healthy Saquon Barkley. And I know, as a guy who lives in New York as well, it's great for just the entire uh, metropolitan area to have him playing on Sundays. One yeah. other giant that back end. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dude. I just no, go ahead. That back end of that first is, is just a really nice place to, to find oh, some running is. backs that, oh, that top 16 overall, you know, my, one of my favorite things right now for the last month and a half has been, if any of those big six wide receivers are on the board at the end of that first hit that. And you just know you're falling into a solid RB one uh, on the flip side in round two that you don't, you know, you don't have to force the running back in the first round. You know, you're getting your hands on the Aaron Joneses, the Swifts, the Mixins, uh, Dalvin font falls sometimes back into the first. All these guys are just sitting there where it's a comfortable spot right now for the last month and a half at the back end of the first in the second round to get yourself your your bell cow and then build off of uh, that however way you want to go. When you got the big top six wide receiver, the digs, the, um, you know, uh Diggs, uh lamb yeah. and and um uh Devante. so 
you get your hands on one of those and, and then you go from there. Dan, you were super stoked to get Saquon last night. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was, though, no, I got to say, we were, this is uh, FFBC, so it was tight end premium. And we had a healthy debate on it was either him or Pitts. Uh, you know, we did go Saquon. Uh, I, Theo, what, what, what was your thought? If this had been a solo Theo draft, would you have taken Saquon or Pitts there? I, you know, like my, my love of Pitts runs deep, but, you know, we, we, we say that we, um, we find the truth when we're on the clock. And most of the times I've I've gone Saquon over him in, in football guys um, type drafts as well. Um, Saquon, like what Chris said, where I could get a Saquon or a DeAndre Swift in the second round, I've, I've loved my builds. Um, and uh, I'm buying into it. I'm buying into Saquon as a receiver. Um, and we've talked about it on, on the show before um, where we like a couple of these later tight ends. I think I can make up for it. Um, I feel like with Saquon, you might be passing up on a, you know, an 85 reception season, something like that. And you're not going to be able to make up for it. Even if Brees Hall exceeds expectations or one of those guys really hits, it's going to be hard to reach that ceiling that Saquon's capable of as a former 101. And Chris, real quick, Kadarius Tony, mm-hmm. a guy that I've taken uh, a bunch of times lately. Dan and I took him last night. Um, I'm super bullish. Where are you at on Kadarius? Is he a breakout guy for you this year? Uh, Kadarius Tony is uh, has been mispriced on the board for the last month and a half, in my opinion. You know, the fact I was getting him in every draft in the 80s and laughing every single time. Um, you know, I, I just think that he's that guy that once camp goes through, I think he establishes himself as the number one receiver, the go-to guy in New York's passing offense. And if this offense takes that next step, um, you know, people are going to be clamoring to get their hands on him come main event season. And uh, the discount days are probably over on him. He's trending up. And uh, there's that pocket after the, after those middle uh, round receivers in the, in the fifties and early sixties, you get to that next wave of wide receivers and, and let's throw in your boy Traylon Burks there. Uh, yeah. I think those are going to be the two sexiest names at wide receiver of those guys where we talked about how Brees Hall, in, in my opinion, could move up into the, you know, the top 30 in, in a month from now. I think Burks and Tony could find themselves up into the 70s and 60s. Uh, and who knows? Infinity and beyond. But who knows? Yeah. But those two guys will be the hot names at the wide receiver position. Dan and I uh, drafted those guys in back-to-back rounds last night, so we're feeling extremely sexy. Tony right? and Burks? Yeah. Tony and Burks? Yeah. Was that as your four and five or as, yeah. as how? No, uh, it was our wide, our wide receiver three and four, but we had oh, – FFP, yeah. We used a, yes, we, yes, we yes, got yes, Kittle, yes. so we, had, we felt strong at tight end. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because Tony – we always see a wide receiver riser – it's like the ADP in the first and second round doesn't really move a whole lot, but we see a wide receiver riser every year. Um, last year it was Jerry Judy, where yeah. you would take him in in the beginning of August. You're like, hey, I love getting him in the sixth round, and then by the time uh, drafts, you know, the big main events oh, happening in the summer, Dan and I took um, Jerry Judy at like wide receiver 23, 22, one 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 FFPC main. Chris, I know you took Judy super early in a couple of New York drafts. It kind of yeah. reminds me of that where Tony could really fly up. So I'm enjoying the discount now. And uh mm-hmm. yeah, uh Burks is Burks is super interesting as well. Um we're hit a, we hit a buck forty-seven. 
there's one question um, we've had every single guest answer uh, since rookie draft season uh, ended. Um, besides the big three, Jamar mm-hmm. Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cup, who is the wide receiver you fin- you see finishing as wide receiver one overall? And you can give two guys if you prefer. I'll give uh, I'll give a top guy and I'll give a, a meet, you know, a middle of the road guy that if everything works out perfect, uh, not to just give the cop out answer. I know. I, I know. No, 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 that's a good the one. The easy right? answer is Devante and, and Diggs and, and yep. those the guys that are right before. So the, the answer for that one would be, in my opinion, Lamb. Um, Lamb, I could see having a wide receiver one season. I just think he's going to get absolutely peppered with targets in Dallas. Um, so that would be. That would be that one. And, and then the middle-of-the-road guy that, if everything works out perfectly, Cortland Sutton. Mm. Just because of this Tim Patrick we, news, and I could see him and Russ making uh, you know, uh, making magic happen this year. And uh, him being you know, another guy, a couple years off of that injury now, second year off the injury. And uh, he could be that alpha, you know, I don't want to say DK Metcalf because that's the easy way, at, you know. I'm just saying that outside big receiver that could catch 16 to 18 touchdowns, 85, 90 catches, and make a run at that wide receiver one uh, position. Glenn Lowy gave the same answer. Did he? Uh, he gave Cortland Sutton his Did he? Uh, and well, my boy Glenn, so- uh, he's a smart man. He's a smart man. He's a great player and a smart man. There's a, there's a lot of sharp people right there. Yeah. How much are you look uh, you're cutting out of here? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh yeah. how much um, are you looking forward to that New York Super Bowl? Oh. Sorry. Nope. Say that again. Sorry, you're cutting out. I'm big time looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost I just lost connection. I was saying Dan is Oh, that's me cutting out. Yeah, that's sorry guys. Yeah. Um <laughs> no. am I back now? Yes. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. I hear you. Um I, I, I thought it was somebody else frozen. Okay, cool. So we're we're hit a buck fifty. Um, this was awesome tonight. I think we could have talked for about two more hours, um, but Easily. we're gonna let Chris go. Chris, uh, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me over at the Athletic. Um, you know, my articles will be starting in a week or two. Um, you know, so my weekly column and weekly podcast will be every you know there uh, at the Athletic. And uh, you'll be seeing me in the draft room on a nightly basis. And uh, that's it. Next uh, week, also, I want to plug this. Um, uh, I'll be doing the um, NFFC uh, show with Greg Ambrosius. Um, that's next week as his um, high stakes guest uh, to, you know, just talk about my career in, in the NFFC and, and high stakes. And uh, it's, it's a great show. I mean, everybody's got such a different avenue in this field. And, and let me, you know, I don't want to, you know, kiss your asses here. You know, I, I love you guys, but you're, this show is so unbelievable for the high stakes community. What you guys have turned this into. Okay. The fact that you guys are pumping out weekly shows, multiple weekly shows with the top players in the game, the top analysts in the game, the brightest minds. I hope I did my part, uh, you know, to add to it uh, tonight, but you guys are just killing it. It's a, it's a unique show and there's so much, talent out there in this fantasy industry you guys are right at the top of the list uh so props to you guys um we all love the show all, all of us high stakes players we all talk about it 
And uh, but yeah, the, you know, Greg has a nice thing going at the NFFC with his um, with his show every week, bringing on a guest and just talking about a career. It's not breaking down players. We're not talking, uh, you know, the draft board this year or anything. It's just getting to know each player that we've known on Twitter or, or you know, what through the industry, just getting to know their fantasy career. And uh, I'll be doing that this week. So, you know, look out for that. Nice. Yeah. No, we really appreciate that. And I and I, I think uh, we we try to amplify the voice of the best players in the country um, on the podcast. And I think that it's been helpful to to everybody. So it's you, you've been on a number of times. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate all of our high stakes guests. And uh, Dan and I plan on taking down some uh, some big ones this year ourselves. So it, it, all, it all goes full circle. Um, Dan, you, you go. you're going to be drafting on the road tomorrow night in the Draft Sharks Invitational. Yep, definitely. Uh, it'll be a fun one. I'm driving to uh, from Minnesota to Washington D.C. tomorrow, so um, towards the end of that drive, it'll it'll help keep me awake. Uh, fortunately, I have a my my daughter driving with me, so she'll be taking the wheel during the draft, so I don't have to actually try to draft and drive. But um, yeah. it, it it'll still be interesting. So. Dan, I hope don't draft and drive. No, don't don't draft and dive. And and Dan, I hope your internet connection is better than Theo's and doesn't cut out during the right. uh, the draft. Uh, <laughs> there you go, guys. The, the nice thing is, I'm that. sitting at the 11 hole, so as it as it starts coming to me, I can uh, I can put in a quick little cue every time, and you know, uh, you know, it, my picks are done in in just a brief little instant. So. As long as uh, I don't lose internet connection for too long, I'll be all right. There you go. Awesome, guys. Well, thanks to thanks for, to Dan and Chris. This was an awesome show. Um, the the chat was was live, and um, we'll be back on looking like Friday for a balling episode where we're going to be best ball drafting, and then we have Andrew Cooper on Monday, which should be an awesome tight end show. So have a good night, everybody, and we'll see you soon.